Hey, hi, hello, y'all. This is RB, your Midwest pest control, serving up another episode of Take the Last Bite, a show where we take Midwest nice and sign it up for unhinged email lists they can't unsubscribe from. On today's episode, I connect with a polyam non-binary ace advisor to explore how intergenerational connections contribute to a more enriched understanding of gender and sexuality. But before we tuck into that chat, I want to hype up a Midwest wonder of the world who's doing an incredible job making critical Mercury Stardust is definitely a human I've promoted on the show before, most recently for her incredible partnership with TikToker Jory, aka Alluring Skull, where they raised $2 million for Point of Pride through a streamathon back in March 2023. Her new feat is doing a multi-leg, multi-city, multi-state tour across the entire country for the launch of her book, The tour kicked off on August 21st in Mercury's hometown of Madison, Wisconsin, and will go on through December. Mercury and her team decided which stops she would make on her book tour by polling thousands of her social media followers, and some of the locations are definitely ones you wouldn't expect. In fact, in a recent TikTok, Mercury addressed some pushback she received for selecting Betty's Pages in Lowell, Michigan, because some viewers believed it was a virtue signal or... Mercury squashed this by stating that she herself is from a small town where she was afraid to live openly when she was a kid and that she would have done anything to have representation of any kind while growing up. She also named that she and her team have thought about safety while traveling, and ultimately, herself and those attending her events are making personal choices for themselves. And that at the end of the day, instead of being mad at her and her team for going to contentious legislative battleground states, she encourages folks to take that ire out. Thank you, Mercury for naming this important tension that isn't new to our communities, but has definitely grown in new and twisted ways that make it so we have to overplan and debate traveling across geographical locations for queer gatherings like book tours or giant conferences, or just travel. Queer folks are everywhere. And while it is valid to be concerned about traveling while trans in this country, rebuking a trans woman for doing something that fulfills a need for so many, as though she isn't already a We are the only ones who can keep ourselves safe. So let's continue to strategize and create critical connections that offer as much freedom of movement as possible not berate each other for doing something daring and bold in a time where we Today's guest knows all about taking a bold jump into somewhere new and scary. That place just happens to be across the internet, not a physical location. Cody, aka Ace Dad Advice, like many content creators, joined TikTok on a whim and encouragement from a friend, and now finds themselves in a rewarding and riveting position to share their personal journey and engage with an intergenerational audience as they unpeel the many communal questions folks have about asexuality and interrelated experiences. 
We chat about their start in content creation, the nebulous concept of being a queer elder, and their aspiration for a multi-generational book series guiding folks through their asexual journeys. Take my advice and listen to this week's episode of Take the Last Bite. Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? When it comes to dynamics around privilege and oppression and around identity, well-intentioned isn't actually good enough. And how far is too far to drive for a drag show? I don't know, we're in Duluth right now. I would straight up go to Nebraska, probably. <laughs> if you are not vibing or something's not right, or also like there's an irreparable rupture, you have absolutely every right to walk away. Definitely going to talk about Midwest nice, and if that's if that's um, as real as it wants to think it is, Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. All right, um, I'm super excited about this. Really glad we were able to make some time. Um, so let's go ahead and get into it. Why don't we start off with you giving whatever introduction you aspire to give? But if you could include in that introduction, um, what is your relationship to the Midwest? Sure. So my name is Cody Daigle Oriens. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. And uh, most people know me from the internet as Ace Dad Advice uh, or Ace Dad. Um, my relationship to the Midwest. I'm relatively new to the Midwest. Uh, I am natively a Louisianian. So I'm from the Deep South. I lived in the Northeast for the last decade. And my husband and an extended polycule family have just recently over the last year moved to ohio so mm. we are uh i split my time between cincinnati and ohio it's where my two partners teach and yeah we're making a home a little queer home for ourselves here in the midwest in ohio i love yeah. that we we were talking about before i had this button that we kind of it feels like we were kind of ships passing where we just brought our conference to columbus mm -hmm. and you kind of arrived in ohio kind of around that time so uh just missed each other in a little bit of a way but i'm i'm nagging you about maybe coming to this upcoming conference just to just you're to close we're so close it's um, close to lexington yeah so that's exciting um and so i know i i feel like i knew of you right and then ended up on threads this little new social media experiment yeah. um and first saw uh by courtesy of the algorithm goddesses right that you were starting school at university of cincinnati as well so you've not mm. only moved to um ohio to live life and be with your humans but also starting this big adventure called a master's program um i'm really yeah. curious about that as a higher ed um, practitioner and just a nerd in general um what was the draw to head back to school well, my original degree adventure. So I'm 47. So like I I have been have not been in college for a very long time. Sure. And my my original uh journey was as a theater artist. I studied theater um <gasps> and I studied as an actor and a playwright, which I did for a very long time. That was like my first love. And just as life went along and changed, theater sort of fell out of what I was doing professionally and I shifted mm -hmm. into doing other things. And uh, in the last couple of years, as like, quite an accident, th this part of my life has begun, this yeah. very strange internet life. <laughs> um, and um, in this opportunity of, in this chance to move to Ohio, uh, we're moving because my husband got a job at University of Cincinnati. 
and uh, it uh, it afforded it affords me free tuition because I'm I am the <laughs> spouse. I'm the spouse. Yes. And I, I for me, yeah, like exactly. And Take advantage it like, of that. It just felt like an opportunity that I love the work that I'm doing. And this mm-hmm. feels to me like an opportunity to go back into a situation to deepen and broaden and make my knowledge base more expansive, to think more deeply about the things that I'm I'm working in and the communities that I am working in and working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to like set me f- more deeply on this path that I am on uh, and to get a chance to do that uh, w- without the burden that many people have financially for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Very, very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's a lot, this path in my life has opened up opportunities to write books and do other kinds of work and speaking and talking, going back to school to study a gender and sexuality studies makes a lot of sense to just make my work better and to give me some space to think more deeply about what it is I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so far, we we just checked in. You've completed a week of classes so far, yeah. and you were you're doing the damn thing. I'm doing uh, it. I'm <laughs> doing the assignments, doing the readings. I've got the posted notes, like everything. We're <laughs> we're doing really well so far. Did you do some um, back to school supplies shopping too? That was always my favorite thing oh. to do as a kid. Look, I in life, school supplies are my jam, and so like I was like, oh no, we're gonna go school supply shopping because yes, no, a different color notebook for every subject. I want the notebooks. I want. I even I bought this in advance of uh, the last bit, but I have like a trapper keeper, an old school trapper yes. keeper with like a fun like '90s color vibe for like syllabus syllabi and yes. other pave pavers yeah. <laughs> i'm ready i'm ready <laughs> um what are some of the classes you're taking like what's part of your first batch of classes so this semester human sexuality uh, okay. a, a, a class that is a specifically focused on gender and health disparities and outcomes oh cool uh, i'm taking an lgbtq activisms class and uh Jealous psychology of gender so it's all women's gender and sexuality Mm -hmm. studies classes for my first semester uh all things that are kind of relevant to where i am right now so very much enjoying getting to spend most of my time thinking and writing and Mm -hmm. responding to all that world love that i love that yeah i didn't have that opportunity as a college student we just kind of had a smattering of classes and we had a minor I won't go into the spiel of that, but I was one class away from getting that minor and didn't get it because (laughs) the courses that were cross-listed were a stretch uh, (laughs) and I couldn't handle the history class I signed up for because I didn't understand uh, what was going on. So dropped that one class, missed out on my minor, but um, uh, knowing the history too a bit because of my higher ed nerdiness and background, like the history of LGBTQ related academic programs and centers and services is so rooted in like civil rights era work that like even just having these still exist on campuses I think is a testament to some like to that work you know and I I work at a campus where our LGBTQ minor perished before it even really had a chance to get up and running because of all the reasons higher ed likes to cut those things. So just, it makes me happy that there's thriving programs out there and places for folks to navigate. And those classes sound really dope, like just very rooted in what you would expect 
in many ways, a, a gender and sexuality studies program to offer. And that sounds awesome. I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah. And the, like the program is also very cool. There's also other than the major to, to be able to get your degree, there's also right. a very specific LGBTQ certificate so that you can uh, focus your studies. Mm -hmm. and, and the classes that are offered are just like, I want to take everything. I just, it's not possible, yep. but I just want to take everything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I feel very lucky to have landed in, in this particular situation, in this particular program. Oh, love that for you. Um, so you named, uh, we're kind of working backwards on purpose, but I, I figured I would start where we started, which was me learning that you were headed to, to your master's program in this cool yeah. program. And you've already spoken to, right. It being kind of this uh, next step along what has become kind of your bread and butter big deal situation of being this internet figure, this community builder, the faces you're making. I'm just going to uh, describe so all of this to two. Um, let's talk about that, right? Like, how did you yeah. end up into this kind of self-proclaimed educator, ASTAD advice offerer role? How did how how did we get here? Um, it's because of my barber in Connecticut, Todd. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Thanks, Todd. Really? <laughs> so my my I was with my Todd is one of my favorite humans on the planet. But uh, he was like one day I was getting a haircut and he's like, you know, you really should join TikTok. I'm on TikTok. I'm having a great time. You should do that, too. And I was like, Todd, that's where the kids are. What am I going to do there? <laughs> no, it's video. I'm not doing that. That's not the thing. But he pushed and pushed and pushed and convinced me. So I joined TikTok. Got it. And um, one day I randomly made some video where I identified myself as asexual. Um, I had been uh, not really super public about being ace, but okay. it was something that uh, I had my, my immediate circle knew for like a couple of years, but not so very publicly about it. I made this video. I went away at work for a couple of hours and I returned to hundreds of comments and like a slew of new people who were following me uh -huh. and comments like, Wow, I've never seen an ace adult before. Oh. I didn't know you could be an adult and ace. Um, and just like that comment over and over yeah. and over and over again. And it was like it was just like a really powerful moment of like, uh -huh. oh wow, okay. So so maybe there is like some space uh in in there's maybe some space for me to kind of like mm -hmm be something i know when i when i first came out uh i came out as gay in when i was 18 years old and mentors and elders in the community were enormously important to me sure. and so i was recognizing you know like maybe there's a space to be that in the ace community because mm -hmm. i'm i am what i'm hearing is that that doesn't really exist so much mm -hmm. um and i'm a former teacher so like teaching stuff is great yeah. uh, a, a thing i really love to do and so i just started making more videos and um having a dad vibe is just my thing. It's been <laughs> yeah. my thing forever. So I was like, okay, so it's, I'm ace dad. That's what, it, that's the vibe I'm going to have on the internet. Uh -huh. <laughs> and here we are. Like, it's just, it's grown across platforms. Uh, I have, I'm like, like, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Instagram, I'm in all the places. Yeah. And it has just opened up a lot of doors for me to talk about, about aceness and to provide not just educational information, the stuff that was confusing to me when I was coming out, mm -hmm. but also encouragement to say, you know, like, okay, so here's, here's how you navigate the personal challenges of being ace. And here's how you navigate relationships, mm -hmm. because this is how I've navigated them and how I've handled them. And to do that in a, in a, in an encouraging and positive way. 
Uh, and also just like showing that you can be ace and grow up and have silver hair and like be in your late forties and like have that life, like that yes. life is possible, uh, which is, I think one of the most important things that mentors and elders do in the community should just show you that a future is possible, mm -hmm. that you can dream of a future. Um, now whether they want that to be my, like my, me is their future, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but like yeah. a future. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, it's become the thing that I do, which weird, but kind of great. Yeah. Like it, it, it combines all the things I've kind of done in my life, which is um, be queer, be a teacher, be an actor, write things, mm -hmm. um, be online. Like all those things that I've done mm -hmm. my whole life are now in this package. And uh, I get to go around to places and and be a stad and which is pretty cool. That is really cool. I, you know, and I appreciate too, right? Like I totally agree that I think that there's a particular caricature of like ace folks, right? It in some ways resembles kind of this false thought nationally, right? That transness is new. And then in the same vein, right? Mm -hmm. Like aceness is new. It's kind of a Gen Z concoction. And ultimately that's yeah. super untrue in both regards. Um, and so, I, yeah, a hundred percent, it's kind of this possibility modeling of folks who are not in their, you know, late teens, early twenties, right? This transcends generations. There's some opportunity for intergenerational connections. And like, that's mm -hmm. all really dope and exciting. And also to find that kind of initial space on TikTok where Gen Z lives, right? right? But like create those, you know, bridging those gaps between generational assumptions and false realities and saying, nope, I, I exist. I'm here. Can't really challenge that at that point because you, you yeah. exist. <laughs> and the thing I love about that, that intergenerational relationship yeah. that exists in this space is, you know, I, I recognize my aceness through being on Tumblr and, yes. you know, so like, <laughs> I recognize that I know I'm ace because of some young person's post on Tumblr that I read. Like right. a young person is responsible for me. So it's really lovely to get to be in a space where I'm paying back a, a mm -hmm. younger generation who provided an informational space for me to yes. understand myself. So we, it's a, it's like, it's paying that forward and, and giving back to incredible young people who mm -hmm. were smarter and more aware of themselves <laughs> before I was. Uh, yeah, like it's a lovely exchange in that way. Tumblr was my jam. I learned a lot. I learned yeah. a lot. <laughs> I unlearned a lot. Yes, Tumblr yes. was the place. So yeah, that kind yeah. of mirroring of like the mirror shifted this way and now we're shifting it back and, and doing what we can. Yes. 100%. I just thought I was going to see like horror memes and like cute guys with beards. Like that to exactly. me was what Tumblr was going to be. But no, no, no. It was a very mm, wildly no. different experience. It, it created the discourse before the discourse knew what it was. That's 100% yeah. yeah. true. Um, so another kind of manifestation that I'm really curious if you ever envisioned this would happen is you wrote a book. Uh, kind of what I'm believing to be kind of a collection of some of these realizations and some of your, um, you know, anecdotes that you wanted to share to kind of put it in front of a young audience let's talk about this book a little bit what was the motivation how'd you kind of get on this trajectory of writing a book and I know that there's a number two in the works right another two, another yeah. book right let's talk about this pro project yeah so the book is called I am ace advice mm -hmm. on living your best asexual life uh okay. and it uh it it fell from the sky magically <laughs> I I was doing ace dad advice and the project was really starting to was really taking off and it was it was finding its shape. 
And I got an email from um, uh, an editor at uh, one of the uh, J- Jessica Kingsley publishers who published okay. the book saying, hey, listen, I, I'm seeing what you're doing online. We are actively looking to create more ace nonfiction resources. Is, oh, wow. Would that be something you'd be interested in? Like, what would that look like? And I was immediately like, yes, that sounds like a blast. I would love to do that. But specifically, what I would like to do is is write something that is aimed at young adult readers. I want to write something that's aimed at the audience that I'm talking to, and that's mostly younger people. The Prior to my book coming out, almost all of the resources for ACE folks are aimed at adults. They're aimed at conversations for adults to be having, and they're either aimed like at a kind of general way of like the invisible orientation by Julie Sandra Decker or, or you know, ACE, Angela Chen, is a little bit more academic in its scope. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, so what's missing is that young adult focused um, advice and encouragement book that explains everything, but is also like you could put it in your back pocket. And as you're encountering things as a young person, as a young ace person in the world, there's some answers and advice for you. Mm. Uh, And that's kind of the vibe of the project anyway. So it's like, it's just ace dad in a book form, form. but aimed at young adults where nothing exists in that space. Mm -hmm. And they were very excited about that idea. So off I went and, uh, and then the, and wrote the book and um, it, the structure of the book is it's designed to sort of take you from the very first question. um, What is asexuality and what does that have to do with me um, into what does asexuality mean in relationship with other people? So like mm-hmm. coming out relationships and how you deal with that. Then also asexuality in the world. Now, how does my asexuality interact with the world and what can I expect from mm-hmm. those interactions and where does it fit into both the larger queer community, but also the world in general? And, you know, like I, I am, it's the book that I wish I would have found as an 18 year old mm-hmm. trying to figure out what my experience was. Mm-hmm. Like it answered all the questions I had and it, it attempted to, it said all the encouraging things I probably needed to hear as a young person to not go through my whole life thinking I was broken. Um, and that was, so that was the book. I put all of that into this, into this lovely book and it came out in February and I went on a book tour and just like it was the coolest experience of my life to have this book go into the world and to get to like go to bookstores or go to university Mm -hmm. and be in rooms with people, other ace folks. We mostly have to spend our lives online hanging out with each other. We don't really get, you know, there's no ace bar you can go to in town to find all your other ace friends. (laughs) But here we were in bookstores, 40, 50 of us in a bookstore talking to each other sharing our experiences and just like having real life community was just just absolutely magical uh such a lovely time and and yeah this now the now the book is in the world and it's cool it's like on shelves i go to bookstores and there it is and it's like that's like the neatest thing to me i'm i'm obsessed with that still well it's this nice shade of purple right is that true yeah yeah so just like it's a yeah of course (laughs) like it's purple and it's gonna be an eye catcher compared yes absolutely aesthetically pleasing Mm -hmm. yeah which is great like i love purple anyway so like super glad that i just happened to be i like the flag is right for me yeah Like, especially like I'm ace and non-binary. So like the flags right. are right. Yeah. Uh, they work. The flags yes. work. Uh, yeah. So it's a lovely purple. Really great. Happy to have it on the bookshelf. It's good. I love an aesthetically pleasing book. Yes. And then there's a second book, right? What is, what's book. the vibe going into the second book project? 
the second book project uh, tackles relationships specifically. Uh, yeah. It is a relation. It's still for young adult readers, but it is a relationships book aimed uh, to speak to specifically to ace and arrow young people. So it. it um it covers all of the things that make a good relationship, but talks about them through an ace and arrow lens. Mm. We don't really ever see relationship advice or relationship instruction mm. uh, directed at us specifically. Mm-hmm. We have to do the calculus for aloe relationships. Mm. Uh, turn, you know, mm. also, okay, but so in an ace space, sure, in an ace way, that's what that would mean. This specifically addresses our communities. Got it. Um, and then also the sort of tracks each kind of relationship, uh, talking about uh, platonic relationships, uh, romantic ones, sexual ones, parasocial ones, and also ultimately our re- how to build really positive relationships with the community, your community and the world, uh, where to put yourself in, in relationship to mm-hmm. the larger spaces that we inhabit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all directed to ace and arrow young people so that they can feel empowered to have the relationships they want, whatever they are. Uh, with the with people that they care about. Mm-hmm. I, I really love that. I think <laughs> the calculus around our relationships is such a valuable phrase that I just want to name again, right? And I think so like working with college students, right, in my in my role um, in both these hats, really. Uh, yeah, there's not really a lot of content, information, or conversation spaces built around like relationships because it it's just kind of assumed, well, you're ace or, uh, you know, ace spec, you don't have relationships, quote unquote, which is untrue because there's a lot of different types of relationships. So I I appreciate, you know, too, breaking it down in that way um, and thinking about how valuable that could be for young folks, especially. I think about an activity I regularly do with my students where um, we talk about kind of like variations on attraction levels over time or different settings or what folks might assume their um, sexual orientation is, quote unquote, right? And, you know, we always find that that tool is so limited when it comes to A-spec folks. And I've worked, you know, with some of my A-spec students mm-hmm. over the years to kind of continue to refine that. And it is still perfectly imperfect to really kind of capture all those variations, but it still offers, you know, that's been maybe one of the only places I've seen us kind of be able to broach that conversation to say, but it's only based on what you're saying, kind of uh, as an opposition to, well, this is all we can, this is what we can easily talk about regarding allo relationships. Now that we know that this is limiting, now we can talk about that, you know, instead of it being, let's lead with, you know, conversations around, Allo and Ace experiences yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I can appreciate that for sure. Oh yeah, and and I find too that most um, most of the stuff that that I do end up talking about when because relationships are a very big a big part of my work in general. Uh, people have a ton of relationship questions. Like everything that's true for like good relationships are just good relationships. So, you know, the all the things that are ultimately most of the things that are going to be true for any kind of relationship are also going to be true for ASIN and ARO relationships, too. Mm-hmm. It's just really valuable to include within within your context about relationships that n- not having an experience or no being part of the mm-hmm. valid answers that can exist inside a relationship. And uh, and I feel like what I what I appreciate most about being an ace person in the relationships that I exist in, my aceness expands the options and expands the possibilities. Like we're forced to sort of imagine and dream bigger, more expansive relationships than mm-hmm. it would mm-hmm. if I was just in a relationship, if I was just an aloe person in relationships. Right. 
uh, I'm polyamorous. I have a husband and another romantic partner and a queer platonic partner who's the romantic partner of my husband. So like, you know, we have to imagine, I have to imagine like really bigger, more expansive relationship landscapes for us because we're, we're all coming with different sets of needs. And as an ace person, my needs are non-normative and a little bit unexpected. So yeah, we get to imagine bigger things, which I think is uh, cool. Right. Really awesome project to be able to dream and think in ways that aren't normative, as you're saying. Um, Though I imagine sometimes kind of exhausting and frustrating, which is why you're writing these books, just to be like, well, this seems really obvious to me, or these are the conversations that I regularly have. Let me document them, put them in video or publication form and right, yeah. not have to be the only one having these conversations. Yeah, right. Like I don't have to, I don't have to do that. I can just like send a link instead of, uh, right. we, like, here's here. a link, just go watch that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You named uh, your non-binary identity as well. And mm-hmm. uh, wanting to maybe talk to the level you're comfortable um, to, to that piece of how some of your, you know, ASTAD advice work has shape-shifted to also then include, you know, some of your intersecting identities. You've spoken to your polyam identity in this um, in this way of having expansive conversations about how all the relationship details work. Um, how has this kind of gender orientation, gender identity journey also kind of fit into these aha moments in relation to ACE, polyam, Ohioan polycule, et cetera. Like how is that fitting into all of these pieces? I mean, like recognizing, recognizing that I'm non-binary is a direct result of the last couple of years of work and okay. being in spaces with, with other ACE and queer people and mm-hmm. trans people and having conversations that I had just not had before. Yeah. Uh, and um, particularly like having conversations because uh, I, I non-binary and agender are languages that is language that I use Got for it. myself. Okay. Um, and so like encountering other agender people through this project has been like really wonderful because it through, through their talking about their experiences, I recognize my own experience. Mm-hmm. And so that has really like that shaped my own internal process of, mm-hmm. of sort of figuring that out for myself. Um, and then also, it's also really lovely to have a, an online community that is that is robust and supportive yeah. like I have in order to do that publicly and share that mm-hmm. publicly. Um, so much of what Ace Dad advice is, is uh, I feel like about me being authentic about my own experience, talking about myself and talking mm-hmm. about what was hard for me, talking about what is hard for me. So integrating it into the project as a whole, this new thing that's happening, um, it, I mean, I had to do that. That was, that had to be part of the process because it is, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's what's happening to me. So, sure. and, and that's, what's part of ASTAD advice in general. Sure. Um, and I'm still sort of sorting out what all that means in return. Yeah. Like in like, you know, I certainly like, as I have deepened my understanding of asexuality for myself, it has, it, it changes the way that I think about my relationship to, to gender sure. generally. Yeah. And so as that has changed, um, then my understanding of myself as a gendered person or an not gendered person has also changed as well. Um, Polyamory is another thing that has always been a part of, like it was part of my relationship, my marriage to my husband before any of this happened. 
but it is a thing that happens. So it's part of the public space and right. talking about how it connects to those other identities and how I, as an ace person, uh, fit into a, a polycule of nothing but aloes, like just they're all around all the time. Yeah. Uh, is, <laughs> you know, is helpful. It's, it's, it's helpful to the community of people that are, that are also going through that or, you know, they're just seeing that you can be ace and be in this construction mm-hmm. of a relationship. You can be ace and be out as a non-binary person and be in a relationship with a couple of aloe folks and everyone can get along and you can sort of like make your way through it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, all of it. I certainly don't think that I would be in this particular space as an individual had this project not become a thing. And sure. uh, I never, I don't know that I ever would have like given myself the space to investigate my own self mm-hmm. as deeply or thoughtfully. I don't think I would have ever really come into contact with um, other people whose other people whose experience helped me understand mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I ace that advice is something that I owe. Like it's cool that it's happening to me, but like I owe it a ton. I owe ace dad a lot for the person I get to be yeah. in my daily life, which is, is cool. Like ace dad, <laughs> I, I appreciate him. Good job. Ace dad. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think what you're naming, I feel like I've witnessed, you know, this kind of common narrative, regardless of kind of what comes first, if you will, that there's this really amazing kind of stagger of unlocking that can happen where folks kind of enter into an understanding of whether it's, of initiating out of a sexuality realization a gender realization uh you know in these in these categories these limited categories where once you kind of start questioning in one direction you start to kind of arrive at these new places of understanding where where we can continue to push these lines these binaries these confines these limitations to say well this turned out not to be something i subscribed to or didn't match or fit and now I'm learning that there's a whole nother series of things I can evaluate, interrogate, and possibly unlock and undo for myself. So, you know, I think the just the level of interrogation that queer and trans folks, you know, pursue in whatever direction they start is is just rife with kind of this domino effect of once I knock down this wall, what's behind it? More walls for me to knock right. down and learn through. So yeah, I you know I think that's a really valuable narrative that I think some folks, you know, some folks in community, they stop, you know, they stop at a certain point. Yeah. They're like, I'm set right here. I'm good. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. There might be, you know, there might be some more, you know, things behind the curtain if you took an extra step, but folks, you know, will move at their own pace. But I am very familiar and <laughs> uh, enamored by the unlocking of all of these kind of relative pieces. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. and I also think, you know, I, I think a lot too the, about my age and how that plays into that too. Sure. You know, I'm 47. So I first recognized I was queer when I was 18. That's 1994. Mm-hmm. In 1994, yeah. it was AOL. Like that's the whole thing. There was not, there wasn't any sort of like real way of, of, of accessing mm-hmm. information about ace communities, aero communities, agender communities, non-binary existence. Like that wasn't part of what was even available. So, you know, my options were gay or not. And, and so I, I was, I was able to fit myself into one kind of queer box, but it was never the right, I knew it was never the right fit. Yeah. Um, and 
then everything else okay so i found the one box that i had that was the only option on the table then you just sort of you like internalize everything else and go okay well that's it then um cool it isn't until i and and other other people who have come out as ace or or beyond like gay or or bi who have come out at my age or or in the same Uh area have experienced this too like once the door opens be, and you realize, oh, no, no, my my whole life experience, which I have never thought about or never questioned because there was never a reason to. Yes. There was never even like, sure. oh, I never, I never thought I could question those things. There is now a line of questioning questioning mm-hmm. I can undertake to better understand mm-hmm. what that was. Um, and I, I know a lot of other folks who are my contemporaries who are experiencing the exact same journey of like mm-hmm. ace. Oh yeah. Hey, also non-binary I'm getting, I'm there too. Same thing. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it's actually a, a, a thing I'm sort of, I'm starting to work on. It's a project that I just have. I want to talk, uh, in depth to people who have come out as either trans ace arrow, a gender or non-binary or intersex later in life uh, mm-hmm. to talk mm-hmm. about what that experience is and to see what our commonalities are because mm-hmm. i think we we don't know we don't know as much about what it's like to be in your late mm-hmm. 30s 40s 50s and then come out as queer right now mm-hmm. um because like it, it's a very unique experience and the more that i talk to people my age who are in the same boat the more we're like like it's we're like the superman meme like pointing at the spider-man meme like pointing at each other like yeah you we're the same um i'm seeing that a lot in the conversations i have so i feel like there's something really interesting there Uh, i'd also like to add to and i think that adds to the understanding of what it means to be trans non-binary ace arrow um to what us us olds how we experience those things and how (laughs) it fits into our lives well, and I, I think too, so I think back to, we did a um, episode in our first season and it was about um, queer aging. And it was three three of us who were either newly 30 <laughs> or coming up on 30, right? And talking about how like being queer and in your 30s is both this like, oh gosh, we talked about like, we'd been in queer spaces, like gay and lesbian spaces, I should say, kind of in our college age time, right, which was fortunate for us and allowed us to kind of come to some, you know, earlier in life conclusions, but that we had also absorbed this, like, subliminal message that 30 was like queer death. And that's what we talked about, right? Gay death, (laughs) right? Like, and trying to piece apart and understand, like, where did that come from? But then we got into this more kind of complex conversation where for folks, you know, for me, born and born in the 90s, right, like, uh, knowing that coming to understand that they're because of history, and because of like the AIDS epidemic, and because of other kind of environmental factors, that there's this gap that kind of creates this, this lapse in the generational inheritance of history and understanding and language and connection um and that we're kind of rebuilding that lineage in a certain way through things like tiktok and youtube and community spaces um and that uh later on right i was i was texting my exec director and they and i are only two months apart um same age right and we were both on that episode um where i uh in retrospect right had talked about how being kind of a queer person in your 30s uh 
you're seen as an elder, which feels incorrect, but also because of those kind of generational gaps of the lineage that I mentioned, right? Like, who else is there? And so as soon as you look like a glorified adult, you suddenly kind of live in this nebulous elder category. And even hanging yeah. out with my friends recently on my institute team, right? I was like, I'm the senior NB. How the heck did that happen? <laughs> like, I've like I claimed that for the longest like, uh, out of all of my yeah. like colleagues. And I was like, this feels wrong. Like this does this. No way. Like, that's not possible. Um, and that just this concept of like, who's an elder, who's a mentor, who's a possibility is so nebulous. Mm-hmm. And that in that way, it sometimes I think can erase or like make imprecise the fact that there are folks who are in an elder age bracket, a genuinely elder age bracket, mm-hmm. who do have stories, but are also, to your point, coming into some newness of understanding of their own sense of selves in ways that we only assume exist for folks in their late teens, early 20s, that developmental stage of understanding. So how to kind of collapse those misassumptions, I think, that they are to say, like, everybody's at different places and there's a lot of mirrors that we can hold up to each other to find resonance and connection across all of these new places of understanding, because it's not just college students who are coming to their aha moments it's folks who are 47 it's folks who are 57 i had a phone call recently to my office from someone who was 73 and they were like i'm non-binary i need a elder group and i was like i don't know where to send you but we'll figure it out (laughs) you know 73 calling me that's so beautiful (laughs) i love that Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I think there's something really magical about that. I think there's something really magical about um, being at this m- particular moment where you can be young, but no more. You can be young, but your experience can be rich and you can be the elder, but still be young. Or you can be you can be someone who has lived a lot of life, but is still at the very beginning and needs a mentor who's younger mm-hmm. than you. Mm-hmm. I, there's something just so like beautifully queer about that. And uh, and really, it, it it's like there's such a wonderful equal. There isn't so much a hierarchy like we can all come to this table together and share what we know and support each other and and provide what we have so that we can all have wonderful queer happy lives together mm-hmm. uh and we 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 it doesn't matter how old we are or it doesn't matter if that we are young what we know is what we know what we can give is what we can give and like it, it's a beautiful place to be and i it excites me very much and i and i think that's the place for us to continue to exert more energy because you know uh, on the mm-hmm. unfortunate side i've definitely been a person in my like relative youth here like who's experienced instances where you know, elder queers, if you will, have indicated that like, I haven't paid my dues or we haven't, you know, put in enough work and da da da. And then inversely, right? Like there's definitely, you know, my generation, if you will, is implicated and Gen Z is implicated um, in assuming that folks who are, you know, Gen X and boomers, I really hate generational differences, but this is the language we have. Um, We'll fix that later. But like, you know, older generations are out of touch or they don't really know as much. And it's like that, neither of those things necessarily have to be true but we've kind of created this false dichotomy of young folks haven't been around enough to know anything and that quote-unquote older folks are out of touch because they've just you know they've just stopped and it's like I that we all carry this embodied history <laughs> I've really valued this phrase of embodied history um that I'm gleaning from a, a space that I was in this summer um and I think that 
the amount of data that exists in that embodied history doesn't matter if you have an 18 year old body or a 47 year old body, right? Like it's, it's there, yes. it's data, it's very informative and it's all very valuable. So kind of finding these ways to kind of collect all of that data to say, I've been a non-binary person for eight years. I've been on this planet for 32 years. That means something, right? And so how do I be in conversation with folks who are 10 years older 20 years older, but also 10 years younger. I have a niece that's nine, a niece that's seven, right? So that's a that's a gap, but right, I'm thinking about gender and I'm thinking about things and ways in which I'm existing with youth. You know, we just yeah. put the attention there and I think we'll have a better time of kind of really showcasing to each other the ways that we can move together 100%. And then I think that's also like the location where we can really build power. Like that's, yes. that's, that's a place where we like that coalition, mm-hmm. that building of community is, is where our power is. And I feel like we need that now, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I really hate the idea that we just sort of see, um, we sort of see like it's the world against young queer people. Like we have to stamp sure. out the, the queerness because it's young and like get the mm-hmm. youngs more of us who aren't the youngs who are finding our queerness, especially like the, 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 the kinds of queerness that people attribute as just like youth invention. Right. We need to be more present and say like, no, there's no, you've also got to contend with adults too. Like mm-hmm. we're, we are a collective power <laughs> right. and there's, it isn't just like the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's all of us too. And right. we deserve that same space. And we are asking for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a beautiful place to build power, which mm-hmm. I hope we do that more. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, and I think it's having conversations like this um, and holding space with, you know, multi-generations of folks, um, which is rare, right? Like uh, it, mm-hmm. it, maybe it's not as rare in other communities and spaces, but there is kind of a divide of like, I, I think the notion the valid notion of protecting youth has become a place where we've kind of created this wall between the spaces we are in where we are protecting and that we kind of have to keep things hush hush and separate amongst the glorified adults. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who don't really fit into that, like fake binary, it's like, well, now we're looped out of the conversation or we're in the, the, um, framing I was giving my exec director after our queer agent conversations that being a queer person in your thirties, I feel like we're perpetually talking about wanting to build some like wholesome little like safe house for the youth, but then also right. wanting at this point, wanting to create like, you know, wholesome, safe spaces for the, for the elder folks, right? Like right in between of this mm-hmm. bookend of like, just wanting to hold space and protect everyone because it's an all encompassing barrage of nonsense that we're all experiencing. So, yeah. uh, the fight continues. Um, slight pivot in a different direction, but there was a post that you shared recently that I just was very, uh, very in love with. And it kind of connects to this conversation about youth and your kind of target audience being um, providing this ASTAT advice to a, a younger audience. Um, you had shared this post about how, regarding your own pronouns, that you had been making concessions And I loved that word, right? You've been making concessions to people to be okay, quote unquote, with a they, he set of pronouns and that you are squashing that. You're like, nope, I'm making concessions. I'm conceding to people. That's not the case. They, them pronouns all the way. And I've had experiences with young folks who I think they're just 
they're not apathetic, but they practice a level of apathy because they don't have the fight or bite in them to continue to make that case. So they make that same concession. And I think modeling that was something where I've seen it come up so much with my college students that I work with that I just wanted to name that I value you naming that out loud to say, I'm done making those concessions. Um, yeah, that's there's no question yeah. there. I'm just saying like, I love that. And that is a big deal. Oh, like, thank you. And you know, it was really something and it's something that I've been thinking about for a minute is when I I made a video uh, a while back too, talking about why I was originally using they, he, and specifically naming, you know, yeah. well, you know, that's how the world is. And, you know, uh, and naming all the things that I was conceding to. And, and just in recently in some work that I've been doing, I just was talking a lot about uh, talking and thinking a lot about um, the ways in which we are unkind to ourselves as sure. like a scenario people and the way that we are, we should practice more kindness and I was recognizing, oh, you know, I'm I'm doing the, the they he thing with everyone because I'm more worried about being kind to other people than I am mm-hmm. about me. And I had an experience online where somebody used he to describe me and like describe me as like a, a man, a white mm-hmm. man. And I was immediately like, hmm, you know, that's uh, I mean, technically sure that's it's within the bounds of what I'm allowing but I don't like it. And oh. I was like, so I'm not being kind to myself. Uh, I should, I should choose to be kind to myself. And uh, he is okay with people who are super close to me. But if I don't know you, <laughs> or if you're kind of in the world in a professional space, this is what I want instead. Uh, and instead of prioritizing someone else's kindness to someone else, I'm prioritizing being kind to myself first and what I want first. Uh that and and yeah, a lot of people responded very positively to that, and I was like, "Yeah, be mm-hmm. kind to yourself. Do it too. <laughs> if you want they them, do it. <laughs> do it." Yeah, I yep. That it it's as simple and complicated as that. You know, I yeah. think, uh, like I said, I work with the college students I do who have had com- who I've had conversations with who are like, you know, I do really prefer this, but I don't have it in me to really care enough about a you know standard gendered pronoun to tackle it and I was like well you're gonna have you know you get to navigate and negotiate in the spaces that you're in I think continuing to name a preference matters you shouldn't have to name it as a preference if it's not but in this moment that's that's where you're at so yeah I think figuring out is there a place where it turns into is it a a general shrug I don't care enough to battle it and I genuinely don't or is it a to your point, right? I'm not doing right by me, or I could be practicing better, better boundaries around this language. I think that prompts a question for me too, is that like in this ASTAD persona space, this very on the internet, you know, public facing figure, how have you navigated, I guess, boundaries in a, in a simplified way, but just kind of navigating your openness, naming things, you know, naming the complexity of things, posing these questions that don't always have easy answers, inviting a lot of folks into your life as you also kind of step-by-step work through it yourself. How have you kept pieces of that for yourself? How have you navigated what to share and what to keep and the feedback and the questions and the like? just how have you navigated? Here's all of me, but probably not all of you. How have you kept that balance? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I really think about myself and ASTAD as two separate things. Um, 
I talk about Ace Dad as another person. Um, <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I gathered. Yes. I will. I'll, I'll talk to my partner and be like, "Oh, I really, I need to like gather Ace Dad energy today because I don't have it." Yeah. Um. Or you know, or, or like, what would Ace Dad do in this situation? That it, they, in my mind, they're very separate things. Uh, I do think of while there's nothing inauthentic about what I do online, it is, it is very curated. And I very specifically, what I'm sharing is very specific. And the things that I allow people into are things that I've thought very deeply about it being okay for that to be Mm -hmm. open for other people. But there's a lot of my life that isn't really for others consumption. And I keep very clear space between that. Um, I like helping people. So I'm, I don't, I get a ton of questions. I try to answer as many as I can. I try to engage in and as much as I possibly can. But when I'm not able to, I don't feel bad about putting it aside and mm-hmm. just letting it be its own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they just they're, they're to me they're very separate spaces. Um, ASTAD advice is I I talk about it. It is a it is a project. Uh, it's not sure. like my life. Um, my life is a is a much messier. <laughs> It is a much less messier, curated, yeah, less curated kind of a chaotic dungeon space. Like yeah, it's, yeah, like it's much messier. Um, uh, but but like that sort of helps me. Like, I'm not going on the internet and sharing everything that happens every day. Uh, mm-hmm. If I make a video, if I make a post, or whatever I am sharing, I've thought a lot about it, and it has been. I'll sometimes even talk to my family about what is okay to share and what isn't. Um, you yeah. know, like, is that, can I talk about that? Um, yeah, it it's all very curated and very thought about. So if something does show up, it will be authentic and be like, I'll wholeheartedly be sharing a thing. Mm-hmm. But I've thought a lot about whether or not that's yeah. a thing I want to share. Um, that's Or that's a question I want to answer or if that's a thing I want to have people ask me about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I appreciate that. And I, uh, I've been in, really inspired since I forget when this video popped up earlier this year, I think, but Dylan Mulvaney met Laverne Cox and there was this very specific moment that Laverne's, mm. you know, very simply sternly and, uh, passionate, compassionately said, keep some of it for you. Right. And I think that the timing of that was so prime for what ended up transpiring in Dylan's life, right? And what has been transpiring, you know, in all queer and trans folks' lives as, you know, things heat up as we're headed towards an election, you know, election year, November coming, you know, it's it's all the vitriols out there. We ain't got to talk about that right there. We know it's there. Um, But I've held on to that for a long time, right? And as someone who's also somewhat very on the internet, right? Being, Being very intentional and thinking about what is for us, what is not being put out there for public consumption, but also like cis het consumption um, has definitely mm-hmm. been a guiding light. And I've thought about Laverne's words for a long time. So in the, you know, in your, or your case yeah. of this is very personal, right? This is a invitation into things that are deeply deep seated into your mind, your psyche, your daily life, you know, and I appreciate you sharing kind of like, how do you, how do you kind of strategize around giving enough of yourself to be authentic and genuine in what you're offering? These are your genuine thoughts, your genuine words, your genuine experiences, yeah. uh, but also not giving it all and kind of relinquishing yourself to the hellscape that is sometimes the internet. <laughs> yeah, that. 
100% that. No, and and I, as as the project grows, I interact with that part of the world more. Um, yeah. You know, like lately, yeah. videos are getting more popular, and so they're yeah. they're they're spreading around. And so I I will go through days sometimes of just having like a slew of just really unpleasant things said about myself and, and generally um and what i appreciate about the kind of the way that i've kind of divided those two things um all the great things i, I love when people say nice things but if but all the hate stuff they're talking about ace dad that's not me that's true i don't have to hold on to that <laughs> you can that is that's love ace that. dad's problem yeah um ace dad will handle that um and yeah like I really, I really appreciate that, that having that separate space. I loved that video with mm-hmm. Dylan and Laverne Cox. I was like, yes, that is 100% it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you like, and that part that you keep back, I think is you have to be really protective of it because it's the part that fuels the stuff that you do share. Exactly. Like if, if you just share everything, you're not going to have the juice. You're not going to have the, the ability to, to share authentically. You're going to burn mm-hmm. that part out really fast. Yes. And you've got to protect the, the like soft part uh, that, that makes that yes. so that you can continue doing the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that like, it's really important. It's important for us to not just like be out there teaching, but being vulnerable about our lives and, being soft and authentic and vulnerable as queer people is a really powerful thing to do in the world, especially when you're older too. Like they don't, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yes. I think that was also, a... yeah. A prime yeah. example too of it, the generational gap, you know, the mm-hmm. generational like transcendence between those two speaking, right? You've got this very young emerging trans woman. Yeah. You've got Laverne who's what, what is she alleged? I'm going to Google this because the, it surprises me every time she doesn't, there's no way. She's the age she is. Let me see. Laverne Cox age. She is allegedly 51 years old, right? So just no like, I, that's why I was like, I, I need to Google it. Cause I just, yeah. No so way. just like allegedly 51 and then Dylan, I'm sure is uh, mid, mid twenties. Right. So just really that speaks to that generational piece, right? Laverne yeah. has learned. I'm sure she's learned in hard ways of like how much sure. is worth sharing, especially with her multiple marginalizations and intersections so I think that was a powerful moment. And I think a lot of folks clung on to some of the cringe in that interaction, right? We get this tiny mm-hmm. snippet, you know, Dylan's kind of excited, talking over overlapping speak, blah, blah, blah. A lot of folks yeah. focused there. I heard the message loud and clear, right? When Laverne said, keep some for you. Um, talking to someone who literally every single day was sharing her innermost thoughts and realizations yeah. and coming into her transness. And that's a fucking lot to put out into the world. Um, and I think that I've witnessed that shift in Dylan, even prior to the, you know, the mess, oh, the mess yeah, that the transpired, mess. right? Yeah. We, oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we all know the mess. Yeah. Um, and I think that the timing of that mattered, you know, and I think that the timing of that in this era where, we're wanting to push out more stories and information about our collective queer and trans experiences, being intentional, being strategic, putting out what matters, making the connections that matter, signal boosting in the ways that matter, right? That is the artistry and the strategy and the tact that we have to, otherwise it'll all get co-opted and no longer belong to us. Yeah. Like <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. Like reach. Little bow on that one. <laughs> um I could do this all day, um, but I feel like uh, my editor will disagree. So I'm um, <laughs> trying to find a really some um, 
So, okay, we we talked about kind of the up and coming book, the uh, I Am Ace came out in February. So that's still kind of a new, um, that made its new debut. Uh, so beyond, I guess, those books, um, which woot woot, we love a book. Um, for Ace Dad advice as a project, what else is in the queue or what else is on your big wish list vision board um, coming up? Um, I'm I'm doing some uh like in person things, which is very cool. Um, I'm doing I'm uh doing a couple of college visits over the fall and into the spring, and I'm doing uh um a couple of other like workshop situations in the world. Um, I'm starting work on kind of formulating a first like adult readers book about oh. uh stuff that I'm working on, and uh, and I wrote a children's book, which oh. we're hoping uh, an Arrow Ace children's book, which I am hoping finds some home in the world. Uh, so yeah, like my, my I guess my master plan is to uh to have like a full scope of books that address uh someone from the very youngest to the to adulthood yes. where you can find arrow ace and agender experience depicted and celebrated uh across the way because there's still a long way to go in that in that regard for literally but, all ages <laughs> yeah for i want to hit every age group every bracket um but yeah like i i want to just get out into the world more and it, I, I love the internet stuff i love getting to do things from this mm -hmm. desk that i'm at right now yeah but being in the world and sharing community with people in person and talking about these things is really uh, invigorating and really beautiful and we don't get to do that enough as mm -hmm. ace and arrow people so i'm hoping that that is the next phase where i'm doing more of that in the world because uh, that it. would be a delight yeah. And get a degree. I want to get my master's. A degree. That's, get so my a two-year program, two years or it's, one year. It's a couple years. Uh, okay. it, the 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 program combines a there's a, a combined program for a BA and an MA in gender oh. studies. So I'm just doing the whole thing because I can. Yeah. Uh, I have the time and space and the ability. So I'm taking. I think it's going to take like three years maybe to do the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. But yeah, get should be that great. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Well. Let uh, I'm gonna give you just any more space that you want. If there's any final words of wisdom, um, ace dad advice you want to offer as we uh wrap up this chat that I've enjoyed so so much. I mean, like, I don't, um, <laughs> on the spot, I guess, well, no, like, I mean, I think the thing that the biggest lesson that I have learned from doing this is yeah. uh, something I kind of always knew, but just the power of authentically being yourself and sharing that with some circle of the world. Uh, you can make a lot of change no matter who you are by just sharing your queer self with a small circle of people, uh, your 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 bigger community, getting on the internet and talking about it. No matter what your age is, no matter who you are, that's a lot. It's a very powerful thing you can do is sharing your queer experience. Um, mm -hmm. And you can change people's minds and lives by doing that. Uh, that's happened to me. That is a thing that I hear when I'm encountering people around this project. So in as far as you are able and safe and comfortable, share yourself with some part of the world because it makes a, it makes a really big difference. It is impactful, even if you think it isn't. Thank you so much, Cody, for hanging out. This has been splendid. I loved it. This was so much fun. <laughs> Let's do it every week. Every week. <laughs> well, you know, there could be a spinoff. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. Take the Last Bite is made possible by the volunteer labor of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. 
Our larger work is sustained by the contributions of grassroots donors. If you would like to support the life-saving work of empowering, connecting, and educating Midwest queer and trans communities, please consider setting up a monthly or one-time donation at sgbinstitute.org backslash giving or hitting that green donate button on our website's homepage. Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. Particular shout out to Justin, Andy, Nick, Danielle, and Michelle for all of your support with editing, promotion, transcripts, and production. Our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by Adrian McCormick. <laughs>